Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is sponsored this week by Six Car Pub and Brewery. Almost every Wednesday, I end up wrapping up the day on the outside patio at Six Car with a random bunch of friends. It's become a gathering place for a lot of locals, especially now that the weather is nice and the outdoor patios are open. It's a cool place to be. So if you come by any Wednesday around 530, you'll probably see us. But that's central to the whole six car concept, to become a gathering place, a a place that fosters community in downtown Amarillo. You can learn more about Six Car at sixcarpub.com or at sixcarpub on Instagram. Today's guest is Kat Volden. When I was a kid in the 1980s, my brother and I got really into watching professional wrestling on TV on Saturday mornings. And for a couple of years, the show on right after wrestling was some sort of roller derby program. It was super fun. We got really into it. So a couple of years ago, I was delighted to read that roller derby was undergoing a kind of modern revival with amateur leagues. And that included leagues in Amarillo. That's where Kat comes in. She's the head coach of the Bomb City Bombshells, and she's been leading the push to expand this full contact sport in the Texas Panhandle. So we talk about that. We also talk about her work with children with special needs, and it just ended up being a a pretty diverse set of topics. So here's Kat Volden. Kat Volden, welcome to the Hammerella Podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Jason. So I definitely want to talk about some of the cool stuff you're involved with, uh, including roller derby. But before we get to that point, I want to hear about you and a little bit of your story. So tell me how you ended up in Amarillo in the first place. I grew up in a little bitty town called Bowie, Texas. I've and driven through Bowie <laughs> on the way to uh, Wichita Falls. And yes, Dallas nice, nice little town. I knew I didn't want to live there forever. I met a wonderful man. Uh, we got married. I moved to Spearman with him. Okay. He had a, a position over at a juvenile boot camp. He was a case manager. It was closed. So he was looking for employment. We were trying to find an area to move to with good schools and different positive aspects that Amarillo has. But we had to follow where there was work. Right. So there was work. So we came. Let's talk about Bowie a little bit. Did you grow up there? I mean, is that your hometown? Yeah, that's my hometown. Right. And Bowie is, it's a place, I I think like maybe a lot of places in the Panhandle, small towns that people have driven through, but probably don't stop very often in. I would say it's about the size of Borger. Okay. 10, 12,000? Yeah, if that. (laughs) Right. I mean, did you grow up there thinking, well, I I live in this small town and I've got to get out of here, find someplace bigger or... How did you feel about it as a kid? It was an okay place, and I enjoyed it, but I knew that I had bigger and better ahead of me. I knew that there was someplace else I needed to be, and I never knew why, but I think I know now. Hopefully that place is Amarillo. Yes. (laughs) You're you're not just passing through here on the way to someplace else. Tell me about your perspective once you and your husband moved here. Is the Texas Panhandle, like, does it feel different culturally than than maybe where you lived in North Texas? It does feel different culturally, but one thing that I do love about Amarillo is it's it's like Bowie. Okay. How is it like Bowie? Tell me, it's tell like, me how. It's a little big town. Okay. 
Everybody is mostly kind. Everyone wants to help each other. Neighbors are good neighbors. Uh, Schools are good schools. Overall, everyone has a care and love for each other. And that's a place I wanted to be in, that kind of place. But that's why what Amarillo is so great. Tell me how you ended up in Amarillo. If you moved to the Panhandle first, you know, followed the work uh, with your husband, what was the process that got you finally here within the city limits? Oh, it, it was just that the, that boot camp had closed down. Okay. And he had to find a different job. Okay. And tell me what you ended up doing here once you sort of got settled here. <laughs> I've actually been an administrative assistant, a secretary. Now I'm a teacher's assistant at a local elementary. Do you, uh, is there like a certain grade or a certain subject that, that you can identify? Uh, fourth and fifth grade, special education. Okay. And why that? Was that something that you were like drawn to as a kid? Was that like a path or did you just sort of end up in that place? It's something that I've always been interested in and cared about. I'm currently in school trying to get my degree. I know it's kind of late in life, but that's okay. That's fine. <laughs> I, uh, I have a son with Asperger's syndrome, okay. and I and my daughter also has some mental illness inherited from her biological father, and I just kind of wanted to understand a little more about what they're going through, what they're feeling, what they're thinking, what their driving factors are. I just wanted to understand a little more, and I wanted to be able to help other people. My dream was to eventually open a autism support center for the families, There are services for the children, but a support center for the families, like say they need help with this or that, that I can help them find that particular thing that they're needing because insurance does not cover everything. Right. One of my past guests was Bruce Mosley of the Turn Center. Um, And so we talked about, you know, the work that they do and the groundbreaking work that they're doing with Mm -hmm. autism studies and research. And, And that discussion was... It was more about the kids and the way that it impacts the kids. But since you're focused sort of on that support for families, um, tell me about some of those things that, you know, a mom or dad who are dealing with a diagnosis or maybe a child with um, developmental delays or something, what, what do they need in terms of support? They need to be heard. They need to not be judged. Sometimes they may have trouble accessing something that families with children without these diagnoses have, such as child care. Sometimes moms, dads, they can't work because they don't, they don't have anybody to keep the kid because right. there's not something there for them, a pl- safe place for them to be while they're at work. Because sometimes a regular daycare is not the right place. They're not equipped to deal with some right. of the needs that some of these kids might have. That's correct. Um, they do their best, but they're really not. Tell me about working, you know, with special needs kids in a classroom setting. Tell me about like the patients and the environment that's required to to do that. Well, I have a lot of patients. Um, not everybody does, but one thing that is offered through special education that is great now it's inclusion mm-hmm. and least restrictive environments so that means that if a child can function and possibly gain some great social skills and some education through that by being in the classroom with their peers that's something that I do I keep help them stay in their classroom help them keep up with assistive aids different things Okay, tell me why that's important. Um, you know, rather than being 
you know, isolated in a classroom where all the kids have some sort of developmental delay or a special need, why is it important for these kids to be in certain classrooms with their peers? It helps them be able to learn. It helps them understand the world that they're in. If they're in a classroom with this diagnosis or that diagnosis, how are they going to ever learn to deal with the whole world? Because it, it's not it's not just secluded like that in most cases. I mean, they do have those kind of classrooms, but that's not the type of classroom that I work in. And in a lot of cases, it might be you know, a grouping of kids with a lot of different types of needs. I mean, so you might have one child who has Down syndrome with a child who has cerebral palsy with, you know, someone who's on the autism spectrum doesn't mean they all need to be isolated together, you know, because they all have different educational needs. They have different, you know, forms of physical needs and just lumping them all together isn't always the best choice, right? Of course not. They they need a chance to learn and grow and have as close to as normal uh, lifestyle as possible. And that's how they could do that through inclusion. It helps with their education and their social skills, gives them a chance to make good friends and create positive relationships and learn about stuff like that. How long have you been working in this environment? A year and a half. Okay. You know, was, was that something that you saw as um, like a, a stepping stone on your path toward getting you know more uh, an education degree or, or becoming a teacher? I actually am studying to be a counselor. I would rather work in social work through the school. I'm okay with being a classroom teacher, but it's not really my passion. My passion is to help others. And I feel like I could do more good by being that patient ear for that child or helping them through a situation or giving them guidance or talking to a parent and helping them find what they need for their child. Okay, so let's let's make a uh, difficult switch, I guess, and let's talk about something else that's another one of your passions. So as I understand it, you're involved in roller derby. Yes, sir. I've been skating since about 2009. Okay, so in <laughs> exactly 10 years. Is that is that as long as organized roller derby has taken place in Amarillo, or does it have a history longer than that? In Amarillo, it does not have a history longer than that. Uh, elsewhere, yes. There's a whole lot of history involved with roller derby that I'm sure that you may not have time to hear about. But. I Well, <laughs> let me tell you, I, I was a kid who grew up in the 80s, you know, got really into professional wrestling. And corollary to that, I don't know if it was a program that was on after some of the wrestling stuff I watched, but I like I was watching roller derby in mm-hmm. the 80s, uh, you know, sitting in front of the TV with my brother. Um, so I'm familiar with what it is um, mm-hmm. and, and some of that history. What I'm not familiar with is what that looks like, you know, in 2019 in Amarillo. <laughs> so let's start here. For listeners who don't really know what roller derby is, explain it to them. Like, what is the sport? I would say it's like football on wheels with no ball. <laughs> you have a jammer and four blockers. One of those blockers is called a pivot. Both teams are out on the track. Both teams have those players. There. It's an oval track, right? So yes, it's an oval track. Basically, the goal is to get your jammer through that pack by whatever legal means necessary. After the first pass, then through the second pass for each opposing player that they pass, the team gets a point. So if you're blocking the other jammer, you're not letting them through because they'll score points. 
or if your jammer's coming through, you're going to help them through. And it's it's a very athletic sport, um, from what I've seen. I mean, it, it's it requires a, a combination of athleticism and balance and speed and aggression too. You know, tell me tell me a little bit about its history. Is it has it always been something that has been primarily a women's event, or has it been something that's co-ed ever? But historically, it was a co-ed. But it throughout the ages, it seemed like it was more of a women's sport. And now it's co-ed as well. Okay. Like our last game, we had two male skaters. All right. Are there like limits on the number of men or women that you can have on a team? Or is it? Uh, well, when you're making a team, a full roster is uh, 15. Okay. So you can have as many of either gender. Right. So <laughs> you don't you don't have to do half and half or anything like that. You could put a full no. team of of guys out there and nobody would bat an eye. Yeah, I mean they even have a specific men's roller derby. Okay. Uh league. So tell me how that developed here in Amarillo cuz I have a sense that it's one of the things that people may have heard about, maybe have a history like I do where they watched it on TV but don't know that it's happening here in Amarillo. Well, back a long time ago, I started in 2009, and I think it started a couple of years before that. I had heard of it myself being in Amarillo, but I wasn't real sure if that's what I wanted to get into. And, you know, with my son and my daughter, sometimes made extracurricular activities a little harder to get to. Mm -hmm. But about 2009, I started skating for Route 66 Roller Derby. Skated for a little while there, got in the best shape of my life, got pregnant, <laughs> had to take a little break. And then after I came back, I realized that I needed to go over to another team called the Randall County Roller Dames. And we skated there for a few years. And we also put all the local teams in a conglomerate so we could compete in larger arenas and called it the Amarillo Derby Association. It included uh, the Route 66 skaters and included the Randall County Roller Dame skaters, included Dumas Derby, the Plainview down in Derby, and the Clovis team. They had a couple of name changes, so I don't remember what they were called at the time. But we, we all worked together and then after that kind of did not work out as well as we wanted it to, I was looking on Facebook, just talking to one of my friends, and they said, Kat, you should come skate with us. It's outside, but you should come skate with us. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then we built it from there. It's been an amazing transformation. It's been a whole year and we started out skating on a tennis court. Wow. Yeah, I was going to say, so where do uh, where do the matches take place? Right. Is that what you call it, a match? Is that About. About? Okay. <laughs> I know there's probably a, a specific lingo that I'm not familiar with. So That's where do these bouts take place? We, we uh, skate at the Rex Baxter. Okay. And we have a separate practice space. It was amazing. At our last event, I ordered originally 150 chairs. We pulled an extra hundred. Wow. Okay. Because people just kept coming. And it was so amazing to see that. I mean, I actually walked into the Rex Baxter before we set up and became emotionally just just overcome because I was like, oh, we were on a tennis court last uh, just a year ago. 
what is this? <laughs> how, how, many, how many local teams are involved at this point? Well, there's just one. It's the Bomb okay. City Bombshells. Uh, other teams that are nearby is the West Texas Roller Derby in Lubbock. Okay. Love them. There's a new team starting up in Clovis again. There's a nice uh, team in Roswell that we sometimes interact with. And then there's one in Andrews. Um, and, of course, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Let's let's say somebody, you know, beyond describing just how roller derby works, which you've done, if somebody comes to a bout, what what are they going to see? Is it you know, does it feel like um, you're watching for entertainment purposes? Are you watching for athleticism? Are you, are people coming because you know it's just a cool event? Like, what's the atmosphere like? I hope that they come for the athleticism. Uh, there's been a a little misnomer about roller derby in the past that it was more like WWE and fake and it's nothing fake about it. Now it does have a little <laughs> bit of that violence and aggression that you might see. I mean, I remember like clotheslines and, and things like that happening, you know, people flying across the track, you know, when, when they were doing it. Yeah. Well, but it's not the fake stuff like you might see in a, a wrestling. Right. Movie. Right. And, and clotheslines are no longer. Okay. Legal. There are legal hits, legal blocking zones, and there's referees to keep things safe and fun. Um, and of course, it's a little violent. I mean, football can be a little violent. True. If you pay close enough attention, soccer can be violent. <laughs> but yeah, it is a full ta- full contact sport. So you expect to see some hits. You expect to see some people fly here and there. What personally? Um, because. You know, it, talking about whether or not it's violent, you're a nice, quiet, kind-looking, gentle mom, you know, who's, who works with special needs kids. And then you are um, you're also doing roller derby on the side, which might be a thing that people think, well, that doesn't make sense. You know, you think it's <laughs> going to be all these, you know, these, these mean ladies out throwing elbows on a track. So tell me what about the sport keeps you interested in it. I mean, what, what do you get from it? Of course, the the workout, the hard work, the roller skating, but it's also my sisters. They're okay. they're Derby sisters. We're a family. We're not just a group of women that get together and hang out a couple of times a week. We are we work hard together. We're a family, and that keeps me coming back. You know, eventually I might tire of it, but I'm not ready yet. Did you grow up roller skating? Yes. <laughs> in Bowie, Texas, there was nothing to do. So that's what I did. There was a roller skating rink that mm-hmm. kids hung out at. Yeah, called the Dewback Skating Rink. Okay. It's no longer there, unfortunately. It makes me really sad. But yeah, that's what I did. Every Friday and Saturday night since I was seven years old up until probably I started driving. Was there still a learning curve for you in learning how to do roller derby? Or did you have enough of that background of skating to to kind of put those different things together? I was able to advance a little quicker because of my previous skating history. But one thing that I could do that most new skaters could not do is called a T-stop. Because I had been doing it my whole life and didn't realize it was an actual skill. Tell me what that is. Uh, It's basically a way that a skater will drag one foot behind to slow down. It's okay. not really a stop. It's more of a, oh, I got to slow it's down. It's like hitting the brakes. Yeah, yeah. It's like you got one foot turned forward, one foot turned to the side. Just be careful what 
outside of the wheels you use. Tell me how often you and your team practice. We were practicing twice a week before Christmas, and uh, and then we practice once a week up until this past week. And now, this next coming week, we're going to start back at two practices a week. Okay. Is there like a, a roller derby season when the events happen, or is it just throughout the year? It is a season. Uh, most of the time, teams start February, March, and end around Halloween or a little okay. after. You know, definitely before Thanksgiving is basically like off time, family time. So will there be bouts then like on a regular basis throughout the year? I mean, going yes. through the summer and stuff? Yes. Uh, we have four home bouts. We've already had one. Two of them are in the summer. One of them is in the fall. Uh, we will travel when teams offer to have us come skate against them. And there's also things called mashups. And that's basically where you have a bunch of skaters sh- sign up and then you just stick them on teams and they play each other. Okay. You might not play with the person you're normally playing with. You might play be playing against them. And that's always fun. Tell me about the people who participate. You know, like you said, some people may have this preconceived idea that it's something like wrestling or it's fake. They may also have a preconceived idea about this is the kind of woman who is into roller derby, you know. So burst those bubbles for me. Who are the people who participate? We have three teachers, a nurse practitioner, a paramedic, a welder. We have at-home moms. We have people that work in restaurants, people that work in offices, assistants, secretaries. It's very broad. And it's actually, you're with people you wouldn't normally think about spending time with right because there's also a huge there's age gap yeah i mean tell me tell me the ages are there women of or i guess participants of all different ages or is it primarily skew around a, a certain generation or demographic it's all around it's all over the place our youngest adult skater is 19 our oldest adult skater is 46 and i dare you to guess where i fit I wouldn't even uh, I wouldn't even try that. <laughs> I'm 41. Okay, so you're and loving it. You're you're up, I guess, toward the the older part of it, but yeah. it's it's not really something that you know it's is just a, a sport for young people or just a sport for moms or anything like that. Like you you really as long as you've got the athletic capabilities, mm-hmm. you can hang with everybody. And even if you're not really an athletic person, it's something you can learn. I. Before roller derby was not really an athletic person. I roller skated. I was a cheerleader before cheerleading was athletic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I really, I didn't play basketball. I didn't run track. I didn't do any of that stuff. But there's, I mean, there's an element of endurance to it. There's speed to it. It's not just like you can go out to the roller rink and tool around for a little bit and say, oh, I can go do roller derby. It's way different. For instance, in, in about each jam can last up to two minutes, and that's when they reset behind the jam line after that two minutes. And it can go on for the full two minutes, or the lead jammer can call it off. And that's like a, a high-intensity two minutes of, of skating. Yes. I mean, you may slow down a little while you're waiting for the jammer because you want to control the jammer. You don't want the jammer to control you. But yes, it, it can be highly intensive during that time. 
Do you feel like Amarillo is a place where roller derby ought to be a bigger deal? Like, do you, do you feel like the awareness is like right where you want it? Or do you want to see the sport grow here? I want to see it grow. We have worked so hard in this past year to grow it. And we want it to continue to grow. My 15-year-old skates with us. Mm -hmm. Now she can't compete because she's not an adult. And most teams visiting would be uncomfortable. And they wouldn't agree to it. But, yes, she skates. I want it to be here for her. I want it to have – I want to have an option for her because she loves it. Are there other communities where it has maybe a higher profile than it does here? Dallas. Dallas? Yeah, the Dallas area. There are several teams – Lots of lovely people. They even have a big competition, the Clover Cup, which was a couple weeks back. What's What do you think is in the way of it becoming, uh, maybe having a little bit higher profile? Is it because kids don't spend time at the skating rink like they used to growing up, or is it something else? I think it's, right now, it's a lack of awareness. Okay. And misnomers about roller derby. There's rumors about it being that these girls are all drinkers and they just wear fishnets. It's a tough crowd or something. <laughs> yeah, or they're, they're trashy or something, you know, but that's not the case at all. I mean, we're professional women and you wouldn't see any of us wearing those fishnets. Well, it might be, <laughs> I don't know if it's easy to skate in those or not, you know. It's, it I seems have, like it wouldn't be practical. I have tried, and it, it's actually, it hurts your feet. Okay. It's not worth it. But that's the transformation of roller derby, that now it's more, even more athletic. It's even, it's more of a professional sport. We have dress code, because I don't want the public to get the wrong idea about our girls. Our girls deserve to be treated with respect, just like they would treat anybody else. And that's why the, the dress code is in place, because some people can be kind of mean. So I, I'm, I'm thinking back to you growing up in Bowie, not really knowing that you would end up in Amarillo, but you know, you, you kind of found your way here and planted some roots here. Do you, do you look back and feel surprised to think, oh, well, you know, I, at... 16, I would have no idea that I'd be living in Amarillo and doing roller derby and all this stuff. Yeah, it was just a complete surprise. Yeah. When I was 16, I wanted to be an attorney. Well. <laughs> and I never thought about playing a sport because, as, as I said before, I was not an athletic gal. What is it about this community that has made you, you know, decide to stay here, to raise your family here? Um, the conversations I have all the time with people are that Nobody in Amarillo is here accidentally. You know, they, they might end up here and they might decide to stay here, but, you know, you're here on purpose. So, mm -hmm. so tell, me, tell me why you've decided to, to make this your home. First thing, we bought a house. That's a good way to do it. <laughs> that started it off, but I also kind of fell in love with the community. Amarillo, I would say, is like a little big town. It's a small town atmosphere, but we're not a small town. And... It's amazing to see the range of the people that know each other and have contact with each other. And I like that. It, it feels like everybody watches out for each other, and that I enjoy. And I think that that's the way everybody should operate. You should be kind and help others whenever you can. Hey, it's Jason. So I was talking with former podcast guest Mason Rogers the other day. 
And he was telling me about how he and his dad recently went to a podcast live show in Dallas and how much fun it was for them to see and interact with a show host that they'd been listening to for years. He also said it was kind of the nerdiest thing that he'd ever done, but he loved it. So I want to invite you to what may be the nerdiest thing any of us have ever done, the first ever Hey Amarillo podcast live show. It's coming up. It's at 7 p.m. on Friday, May 10th, and it's the first ever live recording of this podcast. It's this podcast happening in front of a live audience. This is going to be at Sunset Center. Tickets are $10, and you'll get to see me interview a special mystery guest. We'll meet former podcast guests. They'll be present. Uh, You can ask questions of your own, and you'll have a chance to be in an eight straight panel. This event will help kick off Arts Fest, which is a new film, literature, music, and art festival hosted by Arts in the Sunset. You can learn more and get ticket info for my event at bit.ly.com, that's B-I-T-L-Y, bit.ly.com slash heylive. Come to the show, it's going to be cool. Okay, I'm back with Kat Volden. Uh, Kat, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Your job as my guest is to answer those questions in as much detail as you want to. Here's here's the first one. What's your favorite street in Amarillo? Sixth Street. Okay. I, I love I love how historic it is, and I also love the spooky side of it. Okay, so like uh, Sixth Street in October, or mm. just Sixth Street generally in general, because in general, who well, knows what ghosts lurk in some of those buildings? Yeah, the the as old as those buildings are, I can only imagine. But I love it. I'm just drawn to it. Okay. How often do you do you get down there? Well, it's close to one of the places I work, so I'm there a lot. Okay. It's a good place to go for lunch. All right. Is is there a, a particular... Well, let me hold off on that. What's your favorite restaurant in Amarillo? It's actually Pacific Rim. Okay. Which is not on 6th Street then. No, no, no. Why, why do you like Pacific Rim? I, I love the recipes that they come up with. It's very original. It's Asian fusion. It's way different than you expect. Like it's not like your typical Thai place or something. No, and they cater to all special diets, gluten-free, keto, whatever it is. If you're allergic, they'll completely take something out, use a fresh pan or pot that hasn't been exposed to, say, peanuts, and start with a complete fresh meal just for you. For people that maybe have not eaten there and they're not sure what you mean when you say it's Asian fusion, you know, so tell them what that might look like. It's basically uh, several styles and types of Asian food available on a menu. Okay. One thing that is really cool is Asian nachos. All right. What is that? What's... Um, it's wonton that. chips okay. and cheese and some toppings, like nacho type toppings and some grilled chicken. It's okay. really tasty. All right. That sounds good. What does this area have too much of? Restaurants. <laughs> All right. Tell me, uh, so tell me what that means. Some people say too many of this type of restaurant or too many chain restaurants. I mean, what what's your too many? I think it's chain. Okay. I, I like the places that are not common. Anybody can eat a McDonald's. Right. Anywhere. Anywhere you want. But what's the fun in that? Why why spend your money on that when you can go to somewhere that you know it's been cooked by hand, everything's done by hand, they've done and this is their own special menu. I mean, check those places out. Those are the best kind. 
What does this area not have enough of? Activities for children that are affordable. Everything that I have tried to get my kids into is just a little above my price tag, especially if you have more than one child. And it's just being able to afford that. Yes, they have that lovely program at Amarillo College called Kids College mm-hmm. and things like that, but all of that costs money. And there's a population that may not have the money for the, right. the kids to do that. We need to have more stuff available for kids keep them out of trouble keep them focused on on the future and what they can do with their life we've talked about this a little bit um but how do you describe amarillo to people outside the area let's say you're competing in dallas or something and they're like what's what's amarillo like i mean you you said it's like a big little town but do you tell them anything else i just tell them that you got nice neighbors we we all look out for each other. We all help each other when we can. Uh, and it seems that many people that shouldn't know each other, like they know each other they, right. and they spend time together. You wouldn't realize that they would even know. Yeah, I, th- I feel like at any time, anybody in Amarillo is only about one or two degrees of separation from each other. <laughs> I mean, everybody is connected somehow. Yes, that that's a way to good way to describe it. When was the last time you went to the Big Texan? Two birthdays ago. Okay, and what did you get on your birthday there? I got that sirloin. Which is is that the the dish that's free yeah. on your birthday? Show them your driver's license, and you get a yeah. But I also had a beer. Okay, <laughs> and was it one of the the beers that they're that's brewed there? Yes. How was it? It was pretty good. What did you get? Do you remember? I don't remember. I don't even know if I finished it. (laughs) What's your favorite kind of Amarillo weather? 90 plus degrees, light wind, light breeze. So hot, middle of the summer type of weather? Yeah. As long as the wind's not blowing. Yeah, I don't like the wind. Have you ever tried to skate outside when the wind was blowing? I have not. Oh, no fun. You try to go from it is fine, but going against it is something else. Well, and if you're on an oval track, you just end up going against it, (laughs) in front of it, sideways to it. So it's Mm -hmm. just constantly shifting. I I don't know how many practices we ended up calling off because of wind more than anything else. So it's not the heat that bothers you necessarily practicing outside. No, I'll drink water. (laughs) All right. Okay. And then uh, the last question I have for you is one that uh, I ask pretty often uh, to see if you're loyal to a specific place. Are you a Pack-A-Sack person or a Toot and Totem person? I'm a Pack-A-Sack person. Okay. Why is that? Tea. Right. You like their tea? <laughs> yes. Uh, unsweet coconut tea. Okay. And is that not something that you can get at any of the other tea places like Texas Tea or... You can Bones get over Texas. You can get that there. Okay, they but you have, just you just like the pack a sack. A pack a sack is it's more common. It's closer to everyone's home. There's always a pack a sack somewhere nearby. Okay. <laughs> so when you you need your tea fix, that's that's what you're looking for is the pack a sack sign. Yeah. Cat, uh, that concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something related to the area. So what is one thing that you would want listeners to know about or to experience? Philanthropy of our region. Okay. Everybody's so good. So just just remember to go out and help others. Go volunteer at the Wildlife Rescue. Okay. They're actually having a grand opening coming up pretty soon. Uh, go volunteer. Go help out. Bring supplies. 
stuff like that. Help out your local Girl Scouts. Help out wherever you can. Help the homeless organizations. You know, better our community and share and share your love. But that's what I want to endorse about Amarillo is the love. Yeah, that it's it's a community that really has gotten behind so many different nonprofits and charities that you know are, are able to be supported by this city of two hundred thousand people. Mm-hmm. You think that's something that's just kind of baked into our culture here? I mean, does does that feel unique to Amarillo? It's unique because I, I've lived in other places. I've lived in Dallas, and it's not like that hmm. at all. Maybe certain neighborhoods, but not, you can't say that as a whole, not that Dallas is bad. And maybe it's just because it's too big, but ours is special. Okay. Kat Volden, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Kat for the interview and to Six Car for the sponsorship. This show is produced, written, and hosted by me every week, but it's edited by Angelina Medina. Executive producers of Hey Amarillo include Wilson Lemieux, Daniel Davis, Wes Reeves, Criselda, Josh Wood, Patrick Burns, Jennifer Callahan, Katie Linger, Neil Nossiman, Ryan Pennington, and Corey Burns. You can help keep this show free every week by supporting it just like they do at patreon.com slash heyamarillo. And go grab those live show tickets. Thank you for listening. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.